This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking. Today, we look at the story of Ted Owens, who called himself the PK Man for psychokinesis, well-known in psychokinesis circles, uh, but also a UFO contactee who talked to the SIs, or space intelligences. And today we're going to look at his story. And he is a very different sort of contactee. Now, as far as sources for this episode go, um, his books, uh, his two of his books are available online that I've found or two and a half books, two, one and two thirds books. It's a book and two sort of pamphlet sized things that we're going to uh, we're going to use as primary sources. He's also written about in Saga magazine, which had a lot of UFO content there in the 60s and 70s. And in 2000, uh, Jeffrey Mishlov, a, uh, a psychologist, wrote uh, the book The PK Man, a true story of mind over matter about his interactions with Ted Owens um, that take place really after uh, Owens's uh, own books sort of leave the story. So there's a lot here and it's a strange one, folks. It's a strange one. I misspoke a bit ago, and I'm too lazy to go back and re-record that entire section. Jeffrey Mishlove is a, according to the bio on the back cover of his book, um, Jeffrey Mishlove, PhD, is a renowned, uh, sorry, respected parapsychologist, not psychologist. I wanted to make sure that was clear. It would be very clear by the time we get to his work, but uh, just to point that out. So, Ted Owens, little biographical information. He was born in Bedford, Indiana in 1920. And according to Mishlove's book, uh, Owens had a, a family history of strange abilities, sort of psychic abilities, things like that. There's one story where um, his his grandfather apparently uh, cured, in quotes, a uh, a man from drinking and and abusing his wife. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a psychic power, but it's some kind of skill. Owens joined the Navy during World War II and trained at the Electronics School, which at the time, one of them was at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. While in the Navy, he began to experience spontaneous levitation episodes. And after the war, he went to North Carolina and studied with J.B. Rhine, the renowned parapsychologist. While there, he claimed, he developed the ability to communicate with the dead. Now, Mishlove, in his book, The PK Man, did talk to people who were at uh, Ryan's offices and labs and institute during the same time Owens was. And while they can't confirm specifically any of Owens's claims about his time there, they do acknowledge that strange things seemed to happen when he was around. Despite these parapsychological abilities and levitation and things like that that he had um, previously uh, during his life. It's in the mid-1960s that Owens begins his, I don't know if career is the best way to say it, but his career as a contactee. And he details this, uh, the earliest place he details this, I believe, uh, that was published is in his 1968 book, How to Contact Space People, which is something I'm sure we've all wanted to know from time to time. Owens explains that he's just like the reader. Uh, he's not a scientist or professional like a doctor or a lawyer. So it must be possible for anybody to talk to flying saucers if he's able to. And so he gives then a rundown, a little description of how he first came into contact with what he will call the SIs or space intelligences. 
While living in Fort Worth, Texas in the late 1960s, my daughter and I were out driving in the country one night when a cigar-shaped UFO suddenly appeared on our left over a field and came floating toward our car, making no noise, with red, white, blue, and green colors flaming vividly from it. Its nose was tilted down toward the ground. As we watched, it approached close to our car, then instantly vanished, just like a light turned off. From that day on, my life changed radically. I was working in the field of hypnotism, specializing in teaching auto-hypnosis to people from all walks of life. Ideas began to flood in on me, pertaining to the healing of persons who were sick and unhappy, until these ideas filled a large book. I applied many of the ideas and saved many persons who could not be helped by orthodox means. Then the local medical fraternity accused me of practicing medicine without a license, and we had to leave Fort Worth. While in Fort Worth, I gave my daughter Lorne several demonstrations of making lightning strike in certain areas during thundershowers. I was playfully experimenting with the theory I had on the practical application of PK, or psychokinetic power, to nature's forces. Sometime later, our family moved to Phoenix, Arizona, which was in the midst of a terrible drought. The idea to experiment with ESP for weather control came to me again, so I gathered my children together and showed them how I would make it storm. It did, so intensely that the city was declared a disaster area. To make sure that it was I who had brought this about, and not just a coincidence, I announced to my family we would make a series of storms, and I wrote into the local papers to that effect. I produced eight terrible, rocking thunderstorms complete with tremendous lightning displays within a period of three weeks. So at this point, he still has not communicated directly with the beings, but he had a UFO encounter and then suddenly has the ability to control the weather, which is, I think I might be wrong. Some of you will let me know if I am. I think that might be the first sort of encounter with this idea that I've seen, that that after a, a UFO encounter, you've got weather control at the, the sort of level that Owens has. Now, people have experienced like changes to you know, their, their abilities and psychic abilities and things like that after uh, encounters with the paranormal, of, of course, but I'm not sure I'm familiar with any other sort of weather control on the scale of this. So Owens had been writing to newspapers without getting um, much uh, sort of response. He decides he needs to step up his game a little bit. Electrified by my success and knowing for certain that I had something, I wrote to government agencies and to many important people, but to no avail. No one would believe me. We moved then to Los Angeles, also in the middle of a drought, and I made some tremendous storms there. On our way, we drove through Las Vegas, and I made a terrible storm there, just to keep in practice. It nearly wrecked the town. Now, I figured that somehow I had managed to contact the essence of the intelligence behind nature herself. And while resting in Myrtle Beach, an idea occurred to me. A hurricane had appeared off Florida, so I called my kids together, drew a map and a course for the hurricane to follow, else no one would believe me later on, and wrote to government agencies and scientists about what I was doing. To the amazement of our family, the hurricane followed my map to the letter. If it would start to deviate from its target, I would communicate with nature and get it back onto the course I had prescribed. During that season, I successfully directed three hurricanes to our improvised target. So he gets the feeling at this point that he's communicating with something. He doesn't really connect it at this point to the UFO encounter he had. He thinks he's communicating with essence or the spirit of nature itself. He takes his family to Washington, D.C., and he meets with a man named George Clark at the CIA, telling him who he was and what he'd been doing and and all of his powers. And he'd been writing the agency, uh, but the agency hadn't uh, hadn't gotten back to him. And he told Clark, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you throw me out, but Clark's like, no, I'm, I'm interested. And he talks with Owens and his kids for a couple of hours. However, Owens says, I got no action on it. And then they go to NASA and talk with a Mr. Eastwood from the Inventions Department, who was, according to Owens, fascinated and spent a couple hours talking to him, explaining the whole thing. But again, in Owens' words, no action. The Owens family settles down in Washington, D.C., and he receives a message, he believes, or, or some guidance from this nature intelligence that told him to write a letter to George Clark of the CIA explaining a prediction or prognostication he had of something that would happen in the near future. 
Nature has told me to tell you that to prove it is using me as its representative, it will do something without my using PK or knowing any of its, nature's, workings. Nature will in the near future change the North and South Poles. As the message came to me, I believe it will use extreme heat to affect those two places and change the magnetic condition of the poles. Nature added that you won't have to check with any bureau on it, that the results will be strong enough to make the newspapers where you can read about it. Ah, the old the old pole flip trick. That that one shows up uh, shows up from time to time. So he sent this letter. This letter was written. He sent it a little after this, he says. But the letter was written on March 9th, 1965. And on July 8th of that year, he found out that he had been dealing with UFO intelligences, not some intelligent essence behind the nature of weather. Because on July 8th, he found a newspaper article about a flying saucer being reported over the South Pole. The article said that the UFO had caused electromagnetic problems with some apparatuses at a base manned by Argentinian personnel. And because electromagnetic charge was involved, Owens interpreted this as confirmation of his pole magnetic condition prediction. So the connection with this event and UFOs connecting to the message he received about the polls sort of puts the pieces together in his mind that he's communicating with UFO beings. Then Owens sees another article. This is in October, um, actually uh, 1964, the year before, that the headline said, U.S. waging weather war, Moscow says. And it's basically a, a sort of nothing story about a Soviet colonel in Moscow claiming that the United States was using weather control technology to send hurricanes toward Cuba. And Owens reads this and realizes, oh my gosh, that was the hurricane that I was moving with my maps and, and my and my mind. So he realizes that that he, he was possibly responsible for this. But he thinks the Russians are, are being silly because those hurricanes, while they did affect Cuba, also affected the United States. So why would the United States have anything to gain from such an operation? Because the, the, the Russians had thought about it, they, they would have known it was actually an individual like, well, like Ted Owens. And the Owens then, in July of 1965, writes to George Clark, his pal at the CIA, again. Dear George, one... My little friends say they will appear over one of our major U.S. cities soon in one of their flying machines. They won't name the city for security reasons. Theirs. Two. They also state they will begin an attack campaign on the U.S. with lightning. Lightning attacks everywhere. There will be an unusual abundance of lightning bolts striking everywhere, everything soon. The above is an effort to prove that PK Man is the representative and that they communicate with PK Man. I hope I'm not alone out there and wishing that PK man had dressed up as a superhero with a giant PK on his chest or something like that. Of course, uh, Owen says he has, he has proof for this. He outlines a number of lightning strikes on people and facilities throughout the rest of the summer. Three Marines were killed by lightning in Vietnam. Uh, two golfers were killed by lightning in Louisville, Georgia. Auburn, California, a bolt of lightning struck and exploded a stockpile of dynamite, killing three and injuring one. There are other examples. A Polish airliner was struck by a bolt of lightning over Belgium and exploded, all of which proved that not only that his predictions were, were true, but that this, this was the actions of the SIs. He said the SIs have been busy. And one thing that is interesting about the Ted Owens case is that fairly consistently the, the reason that the, the SIs, the space intelligences, are doing things like warning America with lightning strikes is not to get America necessarily to change this policy or that policy or, or this or that way of life. It's to accept that Ted Owens is their representative. These demonstrations are to sort of bolster Owens's position vis-a-vis -vis 
the government. Now, in addition to the lightning strikes, he also had evidence for the UFO or the SIs making an appearance over a U.S. city. July 31st, there were a number of sightings around uh, the country. Newspapers said the most numerous since 1957. That was some, there were some in Washington, D.C., Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Kansas, um, Nebraska, Wyoming, the Dakotas, a whole lot of UFO appearances, some of them over U.S. cities, like Owens had predicted. So in light of this evidence provided by the saucer intelligence to, in Owens' words, confirm that I was their representative and in communication with them, on August 6th of 1965, he writes to George Clark again. Plus, he says, my other contacts, scientists, government agencies, etc. He doesn't detail who all of those are. Now, for your amusement, and because you've been so good to listen to me for so long, I will let you in on something. I'm calling in fleets of UFOs here to Philadelphia from everywhere. Trouble is, I do not know what they can do to prove to these people here that I'm for real, but I will think of something. I believe they are here already because I sent for them this afternoon. With all that power, whatever kind it is, that they have, and it seems to be miraculous judging from what they've accomplished this past year, they should do something startling. I'm trying to convey the idea to them of coming right down over the city and hovering, but they give me the idea back that we might have some kind of rays they have, or whatever it is they have, and hurt them or something, so that they're reticent to do this. So I am trying to tell them we haven't any such thing, and that it's safe for them to appear. Owens then produces more reports of UFO sightings, of which there were many in the mid-1960s, to bolster his claim that the SIs are listening to him. Some of his claims are stranger than others. You might remember a long time ago, we talked about a, uh, a story that took place in Monroe, Michigan, the, the Monroe monster, the Monroe County monster, sort of black furry creature that reached through a car window and mauled a, uh, a, a young woman named Christine Acker, um, who was with her mother. And Owens takes the story and, and writes a letter into the editor of the Philadelphia Daily News in August of 65, where he, he responds to this story, which, although taking place in Michigan, had been syndicated or, or distributed by UPI, and so it appeared in the Philadelphia Daily News. Dear Sir, in your story, Blonde Gets Black Eye as Thing Attacks Car, in your 81765 paper, the mother of the girl who was attacked, and they were both in the car during the attack by the 7-foot, 400-pound monster, has the name of Rose Owens. The girl who was attacked was then named Owens before her marriage. A strange coincidence. The Wednesday previously, I appeared on the Jack McKinney Show, station WCAU here in Philadelphia, and Mr. McKinney was kind enough to read a three-page letter or message given to me by the UFO intelligences to pass on to the American people. So what? What's the coincidence? My name is Ted Owens. There's a lot of weird stuff in this story, but I think this letter to the editor sort of takes the cake for the sort of head-scratchingest thing. Owens is not that uncommon a name. And I don't believe that Owens was talking about in his radio appearance or in his letter uh, about a monster that wasn't really connected to a UFO attacking a girl in Michigan. It just seems very, very strange. But business was about to pick up. And in October, October 26th, 1965, the SIs communicated with Owens that he needed to send a telegram to George Clark at the CIA immediately. A rare warning. SIs in fury. See copy. Letter NASA before Gemini 6 shot. Keep in mind vanishing rocket. Unless U.S. government complies with SI wishes, they will unleash terrible U.S. catastrophe within 10 days. Don't know what they have in mind, but let the government be warned. PK man. A few weeks later, power blackout that covered seven states. The massive 1965 East Coast blackout. That was, Owens believed, the danger, the warning, the catastrophe that um, that the aliens warned of, or the, the, the space intelligences warned of. It was um, a little more than 10 days. So the telegram said within 10 days. Then Owens says, what followed on November 10th, about 10 days later? No, not about Mr. Owens, you said within. So yes, it's a small thing, but a little inconsistency there. 
But I mean, I, I can see why people might see this as as being connected. And as we're going to see, there are people who are very serious, you know, researchers in psychic abilities who are going to take a great interest in Owen's uh, abilities and activities. At this point, Owens explains that there's clearly a pattern that's taking place. The SIs communicate with him. He, in turn, communicates with the government. And then the SI action follows. He says, quote, ingenious plan on the part of the SIs to prove their reality, their connection with me, their human agent, and our ability to communicate with each other, end quote. So this is, again, mostly about proving that Owens is the conduit between humanity and uh, and the aliens. As another example of this, he gives us a June 1st, 1966 letter he sent to, guess who? George Clark of the CIA. Dear George, the SIs today gave me some interesting information to pass on. Seems that when they flew near some police cars in a recent sighting, the stupid policemen actually fired guns at their craft. This was not made public and may even be kept a secret by the officers who committed this colossal blunder. However, the SIs warned that if they approach in friendly fashion in the future and are fired upon or attacked in an unfriendly manner, the police will be minus one car and officers. The SIs will eliminate it as a lesson to humans. That sounds pretty intimidating. And Owens follows this up with evidence that this happened. The headline, this is from the Akron Beacon Journal in October 1st, 1966. I love this headline. Flying saucer named Floyd is man's eternal tormentor. And it's about a former Portage County, Ohio deputy named Dale Spur, who had a UFO encounter and um, chased a UFO 86 miles. And eventually, because of his psychological damage from this lost his marriage his health is bad he's got no money um, and he blames the flying saucer for everything the story does not explain why the flying saucer is named floyd it says now spar hides in solon ohio a fugitive from a flying saucer named floyd he cannot escape the strange craft. It remains with him, locked in his mind, reappearing in nightly sweating dreams that are a bizarre mixture of fantasy and reality. It's actually a fascinating encounter story that uh, that we'll, we'll probably cover uh, maybe next week on our sort of feedback episode about this. It's it's an interesting interesting article in general. Now, Owens's prediction said that uh, that the the police would shoot at the saucer and they were ordered to shoot at it, but unless I'm missing it as I, I read the articles reprinted here in Owens's book, nobody actually shoots it. Although in his own commentary afterwards, Owens asks, "Well, reader, I wonder which one shot at the saucer." That was a mistake. There is now no way, no human way that we can injure or destroy the saucers. However, the SIs fear our attack. So he's assuming since one of these sheriff's deputies' lives was ruined and is no longer on the force, that he must have shot at the UFO because that's what the SIs predicted would happen. It's a roundabout bit of logic that we can't really square one way or the other. Now, earlier in April 1966, there had been another big prediction of a massive UFO sighting in, once again, a letter to George Clark. Dear George, something momentous is in the wind with the SIs, so big that they are actually going to attempt to bring one of their craft down into Philadelphia to contact me. One of the big ones, that is. For some reason, I've been trying to get them to do just that, but not until today did they signal that they were going to come into Philadelphia, into Center City, to try a contact with me. That is how important it is to them to make a contact physically with their human contacts. I understand from thinking with them that ordinarily they hate to go into a city, down around buildings, etc., but frustrated over the U.S. government's refusal to help me meet them in the Michigan woods or an isolated European castle, they will make an effort to find me here. They know where I am at all times, but reaching me with one of their large craft, that's something else. So when you read about the UFO seen in Philadelphia in the days or weeks ahead, you will know who it's linking up with. And as you might expect, UFOs appeared over 
Philadelphia. Now, it seems like this is going on and on and on. I understand that. And I am I'm not detailing every sort of piece of, of evidence for his predictions or the SI's predictions that, uh, that, that Owens is, is putting in this book. But as we get into 1966 and 1967, things are going to begin to heat up a little bit because the SI's are beginning to lose their patience. This is a July 11th, 1966 letter to the CIA's George Clark. The SIs are near this area and are about to make a move that will bring them to public notice again, just in case people are forgetting them. Something startling. They are getting restless because I am not getting anywhere with the U.S. government. Some more demonstrations are going to come, and this time they're going to be a little bit more specific and a little bit more threatening. June 21st, Owens writes to Jack McKinney, who was a host at the radio station WCAW in Philadelphia. Dear Jack, I have been fighting off writing this to you for several weeks, but when the SIs put on the pressure, you're right. What they want me to do is to give a practical demonstration at WCAU of how PK, or Psi Power, works at Cape Kennedy and other places. This will involve making a PK map, my usual procedure. The SIs use this as a training procedure with me so that I can understand what they are doing. I will send you a copy and keep a copy of this map. Then slowly the power will build up at WCAU as the PK grows there. And in the days, weeks, and months ahead, this is what to expect. High degree of human error. Electrical disturbances and breakdowns. Electromagnetic disturbances. Fires. Poltergeist phenomena of all types. Lightning hits employees out with the flu, markedly unreasonable human behavior, mechanical malfunction, weird and unusual accidents of minor nature. The SIs are keeping in mind that WCAU and Jack McKinney are their friends, so don't worry about this being devastating as their work is at other places. They just want to show WCAU what it is really like to be within the range of the SIs for a period of time with the SIs zeroing in. Let me spell it out. They're punishing the Air Force currently with blood in their eye. This is not the same. They are giving WCAU a practical demonstration in Psi PK with friendship in their eye. Sincerely, PK Man. Some of those things sound fairly scary. Um, fires, poltergeist activity, uh, employees out with the flu. I, the ones that are the vague ones are the ones that bother me the most. Markedly unreasonable human behavior and weird and unusual accidents of minor nature. And he, he does make clear, doesn't he, that, that this is that the, the SIs are not being mean. They're just going to, I don't know, slap you around a little bit to get your attention, not like they're doing to the Air Force where bad things are apparently happening. So there was, shortly after this, a lightning strike that uh, took, out, uh, took out a transmitter at WCAU and um, – you know, Owens took credit for that. He also takes credit for a variety of blackouts that are happening throughout 1966 up and down um, the East Coast and into uh, in, into the American Midwest. So this idea of demonstrating his ability to communicate and, and to sort of order the SIs around or to request them to do things sort of crossed over in 1967 with some well-known members of the UFO scene. Uh, Jim Mosley was uh, putting a uh, convention on in New York City. It was a, a big convention. And Owens was going to try and do something kind of spectacular. Apparently, in early 1967, Timothy Green Beckley had written to Ted Owens and asked that there be some good weather for the massive UFO convention that was going to be happening in New York later that year. I suspect this letter to Owens was written in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way, but on February 19th, 1967, Owens replied to Beckley. Dear Tim, you requested I ask the SIs to furnish good weather for your UFO meeting in New York. 
This I cannot do, for the SIs have the U.S. set up for rain and precipitation to eliminate the drought, and this we would not want to tamper with. But this we can do. I will contact the SIs immediately and ask them to appear strongly in the New York area through the UFO meeting to draw attention to New York area and to them. I'll stress as best I can to them that they do something unusually spectacular at the time of the UFO meeting, like another total New York blackout or something of that scope. I trust this will meet your group's approval. One important thing, and please let me know. If I bring the above about, which will certainly help your UFO meeting, will you give me a notarized confirmation of it? Yeah, we'll do something to show off the SI's abilities for your UFO convention, like maybe a massive blackout. There the matter seemed to sit for a while until uh, May of 1967 when Mosley wrote to Owens. Dear Mr. Owens, I've just finished fixing up your ad for our forthcoming summer issue of Saucer News. We are also including your letter to the editor about possible sensational activity by the space people just before the convention. Yes, that would be wonderful if you can arrange it. Let's see if you can. Jim Mosley. And Owens responds. Dear Jim, thanks for the card. I'm contacting the SIs immediately to do something sensational in their area of activity to point up the Flying Saucer Convention and draw interest to it. I will explain to them that this convention is in their interest and the people attending it who are sympathetic to them. I'm going to ask them to bring about another great power blackout or something on that scale. And if they will not do that, then to appear in great numbers in and about New York from now until convention time as a signal that they are here, are real, and wish the humans in the U.S. to focus their attention on the convention. Fair enough. My batting average thus far, which Mac McKinney states is amazing, is 88%. So I'm not worried that the SIs might not respond. PK man. Mosley replies again and is seemingly getting a little nervous about what the PK man might be cooking up. Dear Ted Owens, thanks for the letters. It's very interesting how you have apparently made many of your predictions come true. I would be most sincerely impressed if you can indeed make something spectacular happen just before the convention. Let's not have a power failure in NYC too close to the convention date, however, as people might get scared or something. Jim Mosley. Owens says, just to make sure there would be no misunderstanding, I wrote back to Jim on May 19th as follows. Dear Jim, I'm asking the SIs to deal New York another power blackout or show their craft there in a striking way or do something big and mysterious before June 22nd in New York to help boost interest in the convention. I'm sure you will get powerful results. Something exciting and unusual. Should affect power and electricity when it happens. PK man. And then, a few days later, there was a blackout in Queens. Uh, The St. Albans section of Queens was blacked out for nearly 90 minutes. Owens sends a telegram or a letter back to Jim Mosley saying, this seems to be a beginning. And Mosley responded. Thanks for the letter. I'll look forward to the blackout. Jim Mosley. Mosley doesn't seem to be too awfully impressed. Uh, And then on June 5th, there's, you know, the massive, the largest power outage of of that time hits. Owens sends a telegram to Mosley. He specifies after the power came back on, which said the following. You said, I'll look forward to the blackout. I gave it to you. May I have confirmation, please? Ted Owens. As far as confirmation goes, Mosley didn't respond, but Timothy Green Beckley, who was the managing editor of Saucer News at the time, did respond on June 12, 1967 on Saucer News letterhead. Dear Ted, many thanks for having the SIs come through with that promised blackout. I'm quite certain that this event and others which they shall perform before the convention will attract many persons who otherwise would not have come. We're hoping for a UFO sighting, a good one, or landing about three days before the start of the convention to build press interest. Closer to New York, the better. I'm sorry Jack McKinney wouldn't let Jim Mosley, John Keel, or myself mention your prediction on the air on the evening of the blackout. We had hoped to, but he thought we'd best not mention it. However, you have been mentioned by name on the Long John Show last Friday and on WBAB by yours truly the same day. We'll listen to the Ed Harvey Show on the 19th. 
Don't forget to mention the convention if possible. The evening sessions start at 8 p.m. and the afternoon ones at 2 p.m. Jim and I hope you'll be able to make it for at least the Saturday or Sunday sessions. Dr. Condon of the University of Colorado is flying in for the event, as are other noted officials. Probably the best boost for you is the fact that the summer convention issue of Saucer News contains your letter predicting such a blackout before it actually occurred. To avoid any misunderstanding, I am writing this letter on a personal basis, and my opinions do not necessarily agree with those of the entire staff of Saucer News. With kindest regards, Timothy Green Beckley, Managing Editor. Owens actually included a facsimile of this letter itself in the appendix to the book, which he didn't do with all of the correspondence he received. So he believed clearly that this was a a significant form of confirmation of his abilities or rather his relationships with the SIs. After the break, we're going to come back and talk about how specifically he communicated with the SIs and what he had to say about that and what they had to say about some situations on Earth. And we'll look at sort of later in the 1970s and into the 1980s how parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlov um, had some dealings with the PK man as well. We'll be back in a week fielding your questions and comments about this episode as usual and maybe looking in a little more depth at that strange story about the sheriff's deputy in Ohio. Then on the next regular episode, we've got some John Keel. Specifically, we've got some interesting articles that Keel wrote for Saga Magazine, a publication appearing here today and at various other times in our show's history. If you like The Saucer Life and want more, you can support us in exchange for bonus content from both The Saucer Life and our sister show, Great Lakes Lore. Check it out at patreon.com slash chizomedia or via the link in the show notes or Google Saucer Life Patreon. Numerous ways to find the Patreon. You have to sort of not be looking for it uh, in order to not find it or something. You can check out past episodes at saucerlife.com or your favorite podcast app. And as always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife. And you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can contact us by post at Media, PO Box 68, Grand Blank, Michigan, 48480. So finally, At the end of this first book, we get to the chapter, How You Can Contact the SIs. And it talks a little bit, Owens talks a little bit about the the, the system he's used to communicate with them. Uh, Once he realized that he was talking to UFO people and not just the spirit of nature, they gave him a system. Um, In his mind's eye, he saw a small chamber with two small creatures um, resembling grasshoppers. They would eventually become known as uh, Twitter and Tweeter, uh, which seems like a very 21st century thing. So insects standing on two legs and they look down into a large oval machine. And in this machine, sort of this oval window, they could see him. And if Ted talked, they would hear the sound and the machine translated it into symbols and high frequency sounds that the aliens could understand. So he would talk to them in English and it would be translated for them. And then occasionally Owens would communicate with their boss or a higher intelligence who would be on the screen. Um, and, uh, that would happen like that. Uh, he said, quote, it wasn't a face that appeared in the screen on the wall, but a shadow, which had the form of a face. The only thing to be seen clearly were two green eyes shining from the screen. They made me know that their higher intelligence is made up of what we call light. No form at all, but it had a face out of shadow on the screen to converse with me because that's what I'm used to talking to, a human face. So it's a contact experience, but it's not – it's it's not a typical contact experience. It's not channeling, but it's it's psychic, but there seems to be technology involved. It's a very sort of unique contact situation. So how can we – do this? How can how can readers of the of the book do this? Owen says the easiest thing to do. We we have a leg up on everybody because we can imitate what Owens does. But Owens does discuss that he has had some extensive training. He studied the Roth memory system, which you can buy a book about 
in a store. He is a master of auto hypnosis, he says, and he's been teaching that technique to other people. Um, he said that a, a, a scientist, Zach Howe, said that they did not believe the SIs could have reached Owens mentally without his deep experience and knowledge of self-hypnosis. So learning self-conditioning, self-hypnosis, the Roth system of memory, these things plus what Owens does will help you. He says, quote, if you want to try to meet their craft, go through the above and tell them you will go out into the country and the next day or in two days, etc. Then go out into the country, preferably after dark, to an area where there are no people and where you definitely won't be interrupted. Switch on a strong flashlight, set it down upon the ground with its beam up into the air and sit down in the dark. If a UFO ever does come to you, force yourself to sit still. Put your hands out, palms outward, on the ground by your side or in your lap. As it comes close, or as the intelligence gets close by, you may want to scream, and a force or pressure may make you want to run, run, run. But if you can stick it out, you'll meet the SIs. I went through that ordeal one time and will never forget it as long as I live. My hair stood up on my head. I could hardly get my breath. It was ghastly. But wouldn't it be worth it? to meet NSI, end quote. So that's what you have to do. And if you're familiar with Stephen Greer's um, early attempts to go out and, and sort of UFO watch, there were some flashlights involved. So I'd be interested to know if Greer had done some of the uh, sort of psychic training and conditioning that, um, that Ted Owens was involved with. Now, there's a second book or booklet, which is questions and answers from the uh, from the SIs. And it's I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. It, it's a lot to go through. It's a little tedious, but I excerpted some of uh, of the ones that I thought was was interesting. One of the things we learn is that because of his interactions with them, Owens is now part space intelligence, part SIs. And the SIs are protecting him. And this clip begins with with the interviewer character in this book asking, you know, if that's because he's part SI. Now, when I recorded it, it wasn't that clear. But there follows a, a story of how he's being protected that Owens tells that is that, that is just a little bit loony. Since you are part SI now? Right. And this sort of thing has gone on through the years. I should have been killed about 15 times by now. Another exciting incident occurred when a blonde woman hired me to drive her down to Mexico City. She paid me $1,000, told me she was running away from her cruel husband. What she didn't tell me, until we were halfway there, was that she had stolen all the money out of their joint bank account, sold their home and business, and had the divorce papers served on her husband. The very day we left for Mexico City. How she must have hated him. Anyway, I got her down to Mexico City safely and started back to the States. At the edge of Durango, I stopped for gas at a filling station. A small boy was the attendant. I went into the station office to pay the boy when suddenly two men came to the door. One just stood outside the door keeping watch and the other came in, pulling a knife from his pocket. The boy looked petrified and told me these were very bad men, that he knew them. Instantly, I realized the blonde had decided to buy some insurance that I wouldn't give her hiding place away to her husband and had sent these men after me. I stared the knife man in the eyes and he froze. I walked to the door and stared the other man in the eyes, then walked by him, got to my car, and drove out of there as fast as I could. But just before I got to San Antonio, still in Mexico, a truck with two men in it rammed me from behind at full speed, whiplashing me violently and knocking me out. When I came to, on the ground outside my car where I'd been thrown by the impact, the truck was still parked behind my car and the men were in it. I got up, went up to them, stared them in their eyes, and they drove off without saying a word. Another time, my daughter Lorne and I were walking along a sidewalk in San Antonio when suddenly a man crossed the street, walked toward me, pulled out a long knife and said over and over that he was going to kill me. I put down my satchel, I was selling Bibles, and put Lorne behind me. As the man approached, I looked him in the eyes. He came up to within a few feet of me, had the knife on his right hip professional style with the cutting edge up. I stared into his eyes. Suddenly he dropped the knife, got down on his knees, and began to pat Lorne on the head. She had edged around to see what was going on. He apologized to Lorne for threatening me, picked up the knife, and ran away. Whatever else you say about Ted Owens, I think it's clear that there is no contactee, at least that I've encountered so far, that had a story that that crazy and wild it was it's it's fun it's it's just fun but there are other areas in which 
Owens's knowledge gained through the SIs is um, potentially, you know, lacking in some ways. This exchange struck me as odd. How many planets are there in the solar system? What? Planets? I, I wouldn't know about that. I've never discussed anything like that with the SIs. I mean, the answer at the time was like nine, but um, yeah, just a, a strange gap in the knowledge. Um, he also gets into some um, geopolitical prognostications that are a bit strange. Again, I will tell you that that these words are Ted Owens's. They are not mine. You say the SIs might destroy the U.S. Could you enlarge on that? No, you're wrong. I didn't say that. The SIs will allow Russia and China to destroy us if we don't cooperate with the SIs. Think of the world as a large field on a farm. If one section of the field won't grow crops or be productive, then the farmer will just quit planting on it and let it go to rot. And that's what will happen to the U.S. if we don't pay attention to the SIs. You say the Asians and blacks will become the big powers in the world eventually? Yes, that's right. The Asian race will become the main chief power of the world after the U.S. is destroyed, and the black people will become the second largest power. The Asians will come pouring over the Alaskan Straits, incidentally, into this country to occupy it after we've been destroyed. And when that happens, the whites will practically be non-existent. If there are any whites left, the Asians and blacks will pursue them and eliminate them as if they were the plague, because the Asians and blacks have had enough of the whites in this world. Do you think they will put the whites in colonies by themselves? No, I don't think they'll allow the whites to exist and risk the whites becoming numerous and strong again. I think the whites will be attacked and eliminated in the same way that we attack and eliminate cancer in the body when we find it. After the U.S. is destroyed, the SIs will still come down and try to help the world, won't they? No, I don't think so. After the nuclear war that destroys the U.S., the SIs will be so far behind in their plans it will be pitiful. That's why they put such a high value on me, because I can communicate with the SIs and other humans the first human to be able to do so since Moses' time. Now the OIs want this to happen, want us to be destroyed, want the SIs held back, unable to reach an alliance with the human race. That's quite the prediction. The OIs, um, by the way, are other intelligences, sort of the, the bad guys to the SIs good guys, although the SIs don't strike me as good guys in any particularly traditional good guy sort of uh, sort of manner. So we've got some geopolitical predictions here. We've got some international racial and ethnic politics uh, sort of sort of playing out in an odd way. And we, we also have uh, just other um, other things that that he says in this booklet of questions, and answers. Uh, but one thing that, that comes across over and over is, is the importance of Owens's position in this entire story. He said in that last excerpt that he's the first human to be able to communicate between the SIs and humanity since Moses's time. So basically, he sets himself up as Moses, which I guess makes the SIs the god of the Hebrew Bible, uh, or at least that figure in the story. We also learn that the flying saucers piloted by the SIs are impossible to destroy. They never have accidents. Um, the beings, the humanoid beings, the human appearing beings that contactees have encountered, um, Owens is asked about that. He says that the higher forms of SI, SIs are taking the shape of humans, or another option is that the SIs hypnotize some humans into believing they have human form. So when George Adamski meets Orthon in the California desert, he's probably meeting one of Owens's SIs who has either conditioned Adamski's mind to see him in a certain way or is taking on this sort of shape-shifted form. Now, Owens' 1972 booklet, it's about 35 pages, uh, Flying Saucer Intelligences Speak, goes into his well, it begins with, rather, his uh, sort of entry into the field and his earliest experiences. But it does so in a way that's different from the 1968 uh, book because it deals more directly with the messages he got from these alien powers. And it's a lot of it 
goes into the predictions and then the results of those predictions. But there is some really interesting stuff about the uh, the earliest dialogues between Owens and the SIs. First, the triangle and rectangle popped into my mind, then the letters A, B, and C. I realized that had never happened before and that the UFOs must be contacting me. So I shushed the kids, grabbed a pencil and paper, and began making notes. The following is what came through at 10 p.m. on February 6th, 1965. Can't come. Later, we'll go find them and blot out. When can we meet? We know you. We are friends. Tonight is late for us. Power low. Keep open mind. We will be back with you. Your needs will be met. A study is being made of how to bring this about. Why are your people crazy? Your earth is disorganized. We would like to help organize it. We did it once before, long ago in your time. People wore robes, as you called them then, and wore beards, hair on their faces. So the SIs communicate with Owens, and they want Owens to, to track these manifestations they're going to cause that are, that are proof that they are who they say they are. But uh, Owens has an issue with this. We will arrange in the next few days to be seen by your people, and by that method, you will know we are making a signal for you. Count the number of different places we are seen, and this will be the number of days before we are able to contact you again. A magnetic condition makes it hard for us to get through to you at all times. You have a question? Yes, I need money. Say $5,000 to buy a car and go across country to meet you. Yes, we know money, but we do not use it. Can you use diamonds? Owens is pretty quick to inform them that, yes, diamonds will do nicely. You can exchange diamonds for money. And, and the SIs say that oh, where, they, where they came from, we have all kinds of diamonds. And Owens says that they need to fly over his house and drop the diamonds. And um, this is their response. We will think of it. If we do, we will include the tool you need to prove to your people there must be no people war on Earth with atomic weapons. I mostly included that for the phrase, people war with atomic weapons. A month later, Owens is in the house with his kids, and they are listening to the radio, and the SIs communicate with him again. We have a plan. Please turn that machine off. Can't get through very good. Very well. Do you have a car machine? Yes, but it will not work. It's broken. That's why I need money. We are going to take care of that. Money? Do not worry about it. You will be richer than anyone in your country before long. We want to see you. Talk to you. Can we come down? Uh, yeah, in my backyard. I'll let you in. Will you be alone? Yes, I'll have my family upstairs. No harm will come to us? No, absolutely no. Lower your flying machine near my back door and step onto my back porch. Knock loudly on the door. I'll let you in and we can communicate. I'm very pleased and anxious to meet you. Yes. We have what you need to convince your crazy people, your government, that we exist and can control your world. If you can use it, it will be yours to keep. You need a car so that you can go far away. We will try to get you one. Owens does acknowledge that the one promise that the SIs have not kept is that he will have more money than anyone on Earth. But another thing that happens here is that um, one of Owens's children, um, Bo, his son Bo, had uh, German measles and a friend uh, of theirs, a, a young girl, was in a hospital um, and was, was thought to be dying and the saucer intelligences make it clear that they will heal them and later on in his career owens will engage in psychic healing activities now in addition to learning that they are able to heal people remotely we also learn a little bit kind of a little bit about where the si's are from where are you from some jupiter others other places even from inside this earth goodbye now I like that they're not all from the same place. Now, at another point, Owens is intending to go to Vietnam um, through the government to – he doesn't really explain what he's trying to do, but the intelligences are not keen on the idea. Do not go away far, Vietnam. Your people will try to kill you. We need you alive. Listen carefully. There are others like us, against us, who could cause you harm. 
Be careful of your life, of your shell. It has taken us ages in your time to find a shell like you who can communicate with us. We do not want to lose you, but remember that you are every moment in great danger from them who use shell bodies. They look like and seem like real people, but they are not. From there, it basically recounts Owens's claims of, of having these messages from the SIs and then the proof that appears in the various newspapers. And this 30-some page pamphlet uh, ends with a message to the American people from the Flying Saucer Intelligence. And in it, uh, a little, it's, it's like four or five pages, they give some indication of what they're after and how they're going to convince us of their abilities. We are causing severe drought with our machines in your skies so that we can teach you a basic lesson, which is that our intelligence is far superior to that of Earth intelligence. We can control Earth people because we can control what you call weather. When, and not before, our Earth human has been accepted by your government and put to good use, then and only then, Will we release the drought conditions and let rainfall come in abundance down onto your thirsty earth? We will also add pestilence and sickness and what you call accidents. We will follow the structure of events which we used as in the days of the human you know as Moses, as he strove against the ruler of the great country called Egypt. And we helped Moses in that day. So shall we help the human friend we know now as Ted Owens. It may please him to think that he is the rainmaker, of course. We make the rain for him, but what is the difference? so that you people of the earth will believe the message we send to you, and we do not expect you to believe it unless we show proof. Listen carefully. From now on, in time ahead, we will lift the drought for a little and let it rain where it is needed. Then, lest you think it is perchance, we will drop the curtain once more with our machines and let the rays of the sun penetrate the bowels of the earth and dry up your rivers, your lakes, your plants, until you accept our human as our representative." So again, there's a heavy emphasis on people accepting Ted Owens as a, you know, messenger of the UFOs or as the first article about Ted Owens in Saga magazine in August of 1970 would put it, a spokesman for the UFOs. The article sort of has the little heading, have we been sent and ignored messages from spacemen? Do the saucer intelligences control our weather, our civilization, our very lives with their incredibly advanced science? Has one man, Ted Owens, really been selected to relay their warnings and predictions? Do we have in our midst a spokesman for the UFOs? Otto O. Binder, who has written some U had written some UFO books, and we are there's going to be an Otto Binder episode in our future. Long history of writing science fiction, writing um, writing comic books, huge, huge numbers of uh, Captain Marvel and Marvel Family um, comics for uh, Fawcett Comics back in the day. He also wrote for Saga Magazine about various paranormal topics, including several articles about Ted Owens. And for the most part, these articles recap the stories and the predictions and, and the results that were told in the book. But there are a couple uh, interesting ones that I thought uh, that I thought would be fun to mention. Um, Owens wrote a letter in July of 1969 to President Nixon that said, the SIs told me that there's already a plot underway, has been completely planned to kidnap you at your Key Biscayne residence. The bad guys, Cubans, know how well protected you are. But they are going to strike at night by water with fast boats, with a highly skilled commando group of 50 to 100 men. Signed, Ted Owens, PK Man. And Binder reports a month later, the Miami Herald talks about a spy plot that um, shatters prospects for renewing Cuba and U.S. ties. That Castro's U.N. diplomats had been revealed as spies, as a lot of diplomats sometimes are. This was taken as a, as a confirmation of Owens's uh, Owens predictions. One thing that this initial article uh, by Binder about Owens and sort of some interview stuff with him makes clear is that Owens is not a UFO person. He's not a ufologist. He's not active in the UFO field in any way. Uh, he's just a guy who has these abilities because of a UFO and and from the space intelligences. And they they asked him or Otto Binder asked him some questions about monster men and humanoids. 
And Owens, quote, admitted he knew very little about these creatures so often seen during saucer landings, but he ventured this concept, which Binder said should interest Coral Lorenzen, uh, who wrote books about uh, monster men and humanoids. Um, Owens said that the strange humanoids that appear during some landings, the hairy dwarves and things like that, are the SI's pets. Um, so that is his, uh, his explanation for that. The next month in September, there were more examples of Owens's predictions, including this is this is one that I think is, is really interesting, that uh, President Johnson, President Lyndon B. Johnson was under threat of a man uh, planning to load a small plane with high explosives and send it into the uh, either the White House or Johnson's ranch in Texas. And a year later, um, headline new york times flyer denied bail on threat of crashing into the white house a former air force pilot has been jailed pending sentence because of an alleged threat to plunge a plane into the white house so things like that made people think that perhaps ted owens might have more going on psychically than some gave him credit for which brings us albeit briefly um to the book the pk man a True Story of Mind Over Matter by psychologist and parapsychologist, he is both, um, Jeffrey Mishlove, PhD, who holds, according to the biography on his website, uh, the only uh, the only doctoral diploma in parapsychology to be awarded by an accredited American university. It's from um, University of California at Berkeley. And his uh, doctoral dissertation was about side development systems, which is fascinating. Mishlov worked with Owens between um, 1976 and uh, 1987, I believe, which is when uh, which is when Owens died. And one of the things about Mishlov's book, The PK Man, that that is very clear, is that if Owens really did have the psychokinetic powers, he said he did, uh, regardless of their source, whether it was UFO or space intelligence based or not. His actions are ethically questionable. At one point, if you recall, as I do from being like four, the Mount St. Helens volcano eruption, you know, um, Owens apparently, you know, did did this. He directed his children to, uh, according to Mishlove, direct energy at Mount St. Helens to make it explode, which is which is pretty bad. So Mishlove is, is also pretty clear that, that he thinks there is merit in in um, in Owens's claims, he underwent Owens's training, uh, which is involved in a chapter, which in, in comprises a chapter of the book late in the book, and it, it's interesting because we see the development of Owens's personality and use of his uh, alleged abilities after the point where he stops writing these letters. He worked briefly with uh, with researchers like Russell Targ and. Hal Pudoff initially, and who are you know renowned thinkers in in the psi and remote viewing world, and to some degree the the UFO world later on. And this aspect of Owens's life all begins in 1976 when um, he writes to uh, Owens writes to Pudoff and Targ and tells them that he's going to show off his powers. And this is what he said to them in 1976. Last night on TV, the evening news showed a stricken California. Crops are dead and dying, and the animals are in pitiful conditions. Now I, Ted Owens, PK man, will change all of that. Within the next 90 days from the time of this letter, I will pour and pour and pour rains onto and into the state of California until it is swimming in water and the dangerous drought is completely over. There will be storm after storm, lightning after lightning attacks, and high winds. And then, in true Ted Owens fashion, what happens? A massive storm that causes some pretty disastrous conditions in the drought-stricken uh, in the drought-stricken area. So Mishlove um, later in 1978 asks um, asks Owens to uh, to you know replicate one of his UFO demonstrations this time in the uh, in the San Francisco area. And this is uh, this is how Owens responds to Mishlove's request. In the interest of science, I'm going to give a demonstration of my Psi-Force abilities to the people who live in the San Francisco area, a hundred miles in circumference, using San Francisco as the bullseye of my target. 
as of today and daily for the following 90 days, I will telepath to living entities in another dimension for them to appear in the above target area so that they may be seen by police, scientists, or other responsible observers who are qualified to report the sightings. Also for them to cause electromagnetic and magnetic anomalies within the above described area. It is my intent to produce not one, but at least three major UFO sightings as described above, within the above-named time period, to be reported in the newspapers in order for the experiment to be a valid one. Now, as Mishlov points out, he had just asked for a UFO demonstration. He says, quote, Owens had given me no time to design a properly controlled experiment. When I asked the psychic to defer the test until I had more time to work out an experimental design, he responded that once he had set his PK forces in motion, nothing could be done to abort their manifestation. It seemed then that I had to play the game by Owens's rules or not at all. And that is uh, – that's the end of the quote quotation. And that is – here's the thing. This is a, a, a long, involved book that – I found very useful, especially about understanding Owens's early life. And I don't think we have time to get into the whole book here, but there's some great things that I urge you to check out um, if you read the book and uh, or, or, or there's some or some YouTube videos with Mish Love talking about Owens that I, I think would be useful that I'm going to link to his YouTube show uh, New Thinking Aloud is uh, is always uh, very insightful. And if, if you listen to this show, there are doubtless guests that he's interviewed that you will find interesting. But one thing that, that becomes very clear is as Owens continued on towards the end of his life in 1987, he seems to become more angry, more driven, more vindictive in using his powers. And one of the, the, the sort of vindictive, but I don't want to say um, benign things he does is he uses his influence or claims to use his influence to um, punish sports teams who don't pay him money in order for him to, you know, hurt their opponents. So, you know, hire me as your, I don't know, psychic goon or something, or else I will hobble your team. And so it's, it's stuff like that. It's, it's really interesting. And like I said, it's a little much to get into here. But regardless of the UFO or flying saucer connection to all this, regardless of his claims about the SIs, one thing that is very clear in reading Owens's accounts and, and the newspaper accounts of, of what happened after he made his documented predictions and reading what experienced scientific researchers in psychic phenomena have to say about working with them, it seems like this is one of those contact situations where regardless of the alien or extraterrestrial nature of whatever happened, something might have happened. I'm, I'm not saying yes or no definitively either way, but you know, sometimes I wonder what the limit to coincidence is with some of these things. I, I urge you to check out, um, Mishlove's book. It's very interesting. Oh, oh, speaking of books, one thing I didn't mention just before we close here is the the stuff about the blackout and the 1967 New York Flying Saucer Convention or UFO Convention. I was really hoping that Mosley would have talked about this in his uh, memoir, Shockingly Close to the Truth, but um, I don't think he did. There's there's a whole – I think there's a whole chapter about the 1967 convention or at least a section of a chapter about it, and he doesn't talk about Ted Owens and the blackout threat, at least that I could remember seeing when I looked at it again. I was kind of hoping to get uh, to get his viewpoint there. In any case, Ted Owens is – case is fascinating. And I, I kind of wish there had been more of the contactee stuff and less of the psychic predictions, but it's a rare case where the contactee aspect and the contactee message takes an absolute backseat to a much more interesting, fascinating, and truly mysterious story. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Remember to send in your questions and comments via the usual social media or email channels, and we will try to address it on the Saucer Afterlife segment next week. Our associate producer is Simpson Jahan over the third, and the Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC. Chizo Media, our heart is with the people. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. <laughs>